Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome, one and all, to Storybox, the place to be if you are a lover of stories learning, growth, anyone to improve your life. My name is Jay Phantom and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I am truly grateful that you have decided to listen in today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. you know that the future is better than you think and there is no greater time in history than right now to be an investor welcome everyone to the storybox podcast i'm thrilled that you've decided to return this week i have a very special person for you all to listen to he is a new york times best-selling author twice over he is one of tony robbins close personal friends and they are both co-written two books together. His name is Peter Malouk. Now, Peter and I had such a great chat. Uh, We only did, we actually did a two-parter. So you're going to hear two parts of a conversation that I meshed together for you guys. And I was actually quite curious about investing and financial and trying to establish this idea of what really financial freedom means, especially in today's day and age. Um, It's can seem very daunting and quite challenging, but Peter helps to break it down for you all. I ask him a lot, I mean, a lot of questions that I know is going to be very beneficial for you guys. But for those of you who don't know who Peter is, he is the president and CEO of Creative Planning. Creative Planning is a registered investment advisory firm that manages over, get this, $55 billion in assets and serves clients in all 50 states. Both Creative Planning and Peter have been recognized as industry leaders by organizations such as Barron's Financial Times and CNBC. Rear Channel, published by Forbes, recently ranked Creative Planning as the number one wealth manager for 2020. Creative Planning and Peter encourage you to visit their website, creativeplanning.com, to review important information related to their industry recognition, which is quite important, I, I must say. Um, and like I said before, he he recently wrote this amazing book, which I have my copy right here in my hands called The Path, Accelerating Your Journey to Financial Freedom by Peter Malouk with Tony Robbins as well. And this is basically a blueprint. The cover is, is mostly blue, but it's got a set of mountains on it. So it, it really gives you this 
um, idea of how you can, it, it, like I said, it's a blueprint, right? So it goes through everything that you need uh, to learn about when it comes to managing money, finances, investing, and so much more. Success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And you're going to hear a lot about Peter's mindset and endeavors in this interview. So with all that being said, my friends, if you do get something from this, please share it around to all your friends and anyone that you know. Make sure to hit that subscribe button as well. Uh, follow along uh, on Instagram and tag us as well. Tag um, the Storybox podcast and I am Jay Phantom. Uh, and also, if you feel obligated, please leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, it goes a huge way in building this incredible community. I'm working incredibly hard to bring guests like Peter on so they can bring their wisdom and their knowledge for you guys to help you improve and accelerate your growth uh, in life today. But thank you all so much for listening. Um, you guys know what time it is, right? I say it every week, but I, I get so excited to do this. It's time to jump into the story box, accelerate our growth, and listen to the incredible story of none other than Peter Malouk. Hey, thanks for having me, Jay. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to have you here. I was recently listening to your interview that you did two years ago with uh, Tim Ferriss and such a massive deep dive into this uh, creative planning, finance, investments, all the things that I, I love talking about with people. Not very good at it at myself. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be an interesting conversation because I'm, I'm very curious. Um, before we dive into all that, though, I have one question that I love asking all my guests, which is, what does success look like to you? I think success is, is when you are free to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do with it, whenever you want to do it. And so it's, it's when um, you don't just have money, but you have time. You've just, you've got back your time. So if you're going to work, it's because that's how you want to spend your time. Whatever you're doing, you're choosing how to spend that minute, that hour, that day. Um, I think that's a very big part of it because that's freedom, right? And then that, then that carries forward in everyone's secondary goal. You know, some people want to spend that time and money uh, doing charitable things. Some people want to do it helping their family or friends. Some people want to do it just having a good time and celebrating life. But you have to start with, you start, have to start with time. And to get the time, you've got to, usually you've got to have the money. Hmm, very true. <laughs> I like that definition. When when was the moment do you actually realized, hang on a minute, this is success for me? Has it been like this gradual thing over time or was there some sort of catalyst in your life? I think that I, I've always been entrepreneurial and I've always just enjoyed uh, finding out what the market needs and trying to meet it. But I've also always loved personal finance. And so when I finally figured out I could make a living helping other people manage their personal finances. I, for me, I was already successful because this is how I want to spend a lot of my time. It's just, it's a fun thing to do. Uh, you think about people work thousands and thousands of hours coming up with, you know, whatever investments they have. And you can spend, you know, a few hours a year helping them say, here's how you can be a little bit better at all of these different things. And that overall will put you in a better place to be free, mm -hmm. to be able to do all these other things that you want to do. I mean, that's very, very rewarding. Um, being able to take what's in your mind and help somebody do four or five things a year to make a big difference, a kind of an exponential difference in terms of achieving their goals and staying where they're at. So it's really uh, rewarding. And I probably, 
it, it took me a while to realize that, that I could really, you know, do this in a way where I could make a living at it. And that was what I probably considered myself successful. How have you been able to learn or when did, did you learn first about this whole world of finance? Because it's not just one small little thing. It's a massive beast and a massive machine. So there's a lot to learn. And I feel like when, when was the moment for you that you sort of like started learning all this stuff? Well, you know, my, my parents spent a lot of time trying to help me understand this stuff, but I didn't really, um, I didn't really know the practical nature of it. Like you need money to do this and these are the risks on how you can lose your money and so on. And it really was, you know, I'd already gotten some degrees in college and a master's in business and a law degree and had a job and did all these things and still didn't understand that personal financial planning was a profession. And I kind of accidentally got to a point where I realized having legal advice and tax advice and investment advice and really coordinating it in a way where you could be a better money manager. Um, you know, I, di I didn't learn that until I was probably, you know, 30. And so it took a long time for me to understand it. I think now it's a pretty well-defined profession and you can study for it in school and so on, but it, it took me a while to figure it out. Did you actually have to go to university and study it or did you learn by somebody else teaching you? No, I think that's what's crazy about this profession. You can't just be an architect or an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer without going to school and getting a degree, spending some time learning it and meeting some minimum bar, right? Mm. Anybody can be a financial advisor. I mean, you don't need a high school a diploma or college diploma or any credential or any training. Uh, you could just say you're a financial advisor and voila, you, you are. So I think that's why consumers need to be so careful. I mean, consumers really need to make sure who am I dealing with? Do they have experience with people like me? Do they have education in this area? Do they have the credential that that's the best credential you can have in this area? Because you really need these screens to make sure you're getting uh, good advice. So talking about, you said that anyone can become a financial planner. What's the difference between a good financial planner as opposed to a great financial planner? So I think a good one, to, to be a good one, you have to have comp competence, right? There's a minimum level of competence you have to have. You have to understand investments and how to, how to make them grow, which investments are appropriate for which clients, um, how different asset classes behave. You have to understand the risks that someone is facing, death, disability, all these terrible things that are going to eventually happen to all of us. You have to understand how to transfer wealth and how to manage taxes. That's baseline. So there's going to be some education, preferably a credential, something that makes that reflects comp competence. So a consumer uh, uh, anywhere in the world should be able to go, well, if they've got a CFP, at least they've met some minimum standard of education and some training. And then maybe let me at least make sure they work with clients like me, that they have 100 other clients that have my kind of background. But that just makes you acceptable, right, to, to be at that level. To really, I think, be great, you have to really understand that money is emotional. And that everybody has certain feelings around money. Some people have this sense of scarcity that they're going to lose everything. Some people feel like uh, it's going to be here. I'm always going to have money coming at me. I can spend whatever and always replace it. Really understanding the mindset of where the person is coming from that you're advising and how you can help them reach their goals and have them stay on the bus, right? Because if their mindset doesn't match, uh, what you're putting together, it doesn't matter how good the plan is, right? If I get on a roller coaster with someone who doesn't like roller coasters, uh, they're going to throw up all over the place, you know, and, and never want to be on one again. You have to make sure 
it's not just the science of investing and the science of planning. You have to make sure that you can meet the client where they are. And speaking about money and having this uh, fascination with earning a lot of money, um, we have this thing in Australia called tall poppy syndrome where we don't like talking about money. We don't like even remotely giving access to that at all. And what I'm curious about is why that is. Why do you think that people have this sort of closed mindset when it comes to talking about money? Not just in Australia, I've found that it's even other places in the world. Like, why do you think that is? Like, money is just a tool, but yeah, we have this very closed mindset towards it. Yeah, I think the United States is the same way. I wish we would go back to where we didn't talk about politics too. <laughs> it used to be, you didn't <laughs> want to talk about politics and religion and money. And I wish politics would get back in that in that uh, boat. But, you know, I think that the thing is that money is so deeply personal to people and the way they feel about money is really rooted in their in their childhood. And also, and I think this is a big mistake, we tend to uh, associate self-worth with our net worth. We tend to look at, what we have and we think better or worse for ourselves. And really this is a very small component of everything. Should a professional athlete feel better than themselves about a teacher? I mean, obviously not. It doesn't make logical uh, sense. They both do great things. Uh, but one, you know, capitalism happens to reward more, one more than the other. And that, that's how the economy should work. You know, if only one person in the world uh, can hit 60 home runs a year, that person should be making more money than another position say financial advisor where 100,000 people uh, could do it. That's how an economy should work. But we all look at, uh, at our, as a net worth and tie it to self-worth. And, and, and frankly, people judge each other uh, that way. Uh, and it's a very absolute mechanism for judgment. Like um, we can all kid ourselves about, oh, I, I think I'm funnier than that person or I'm nicer than that person. And everyone can kind of fool themselves with those things. But no one has to say anything, and most people have a general sense of who financially is better off. It's, it becomes a, it's a very judgmental part of the way we view each other, too. And I think you put those two things together, and it's one of the, one of the re, couple of the reasons it's a taboo topic. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. um, I, think, I think you're completely right. I think it needs to be broken down and said, look, it's not a bad thing to talk about money at all. Same with politics. I mean, there's a lot of people that have different points of view in life. That's just life. Like I think yeah. you've got to learn to accept it and move forward. But I think what I want to ask you now, Peter, is this might be a hard one to answer, but we'll see how we go. What was the first lesson that you, or what was the lesson that you learned when you earned your first million dollars? <laughs> uh, um, the lesson I learned. Um, I really... As I as I really think about that, um, I, I I guess I would just say it took a long time. You know what I mean? Like it was it took a long time. Uh, it's always easier to repeat something than it is to 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 do something um, the the first time. And there were so many failures to to get to that point that I don't know that I could quantify like one lesson I got from it other than. Um, whatever you're trying the first time is probably not going to work. You know, I, try, I tried a lot of different things to find something that that really um, was valued by society in a way that allowed that to, allowed that to happen. What was a failure that you that you had that sticks out the most in your brain that sort of gave you a renewed perspective towards money and finance and this whole world of investments? 
Well, I think everything is fleeting. I think what, what I've observed with myself and clients is something, you know, something can always work until it doesn't work, you know, and, it, and a free market really destroys ideas, no matter how good they are, because someone will do it better. Someone will invent a completely new way of doing it, or someone will do the same thing and it will cost less. So no matter where you are, no matter what you are selling, you know, everyone's selling something, an architect, a doctor, or everyone's selling their services. Everything is at risk all the time. You know, so I'm sitting with a client, I'm thinking about how to protect them from all these different things that can possibly happen to throw them off course. Um, and so you think about those things in terms of diversification and risk management, and estate planning and so on. But if you're a business owner, um, there are a lot of different ways to fail. And I've, I mean, I've failed a lot of different ways. I mean, I remember in in high school, creating a t-shirt that sold really well nationally, and then somebody copied it because I didn't copyright it. You know, there's no risk management or asset protection. And my asset went, you know, I thought, oh, I'm never going to go get a job. This is awesome. And it went to zero. And then I opened music stores and I thought I was competing against Best Buy and Streetside Records and all these big music stores in the States. And then uh, online music came out and put everybody out of it, something we weren't even thinking about. And just, you know, like that, I had to go think about a job. And so I think that everything moves very, very fast. No matter how formidable a company is, it's always at risk. And I think that's a big thing to think about as an investor and a business owner. You know, I sit with, with business owners and I say, well, tell me how your business is going to do. Give me three scenarios. It's always, oh, I'm going to double in a few years or I'm going to go up 50% in a few years or we're going to go go slowly. I've never had a business owner come to me and say, one of my scenarios is things are going to get worse. But we know statistically, for most businesses, 10 years later, it's worse. doesn't matter what the, what the business is because most businesses give way to the free market. And so I think understanding risk and appreciating it at a really young age was, was probably something that really helped me advise clients and run creative planning in a way to always try to stay ahead of the competition. Mm. I'm curious of more stories and we're definitely going to have to do a part two because I've got so many questions. <laughs> but yeah, I'd be happy question, to do that. One question that sticks out in my mind the most is you've got a lot of experience in this industry and a lot of failures and a lot of successes too. But I'm curious about, because you do give people advice and what has been the worst piece of advice you've ever received from someone? Um, you know, I think when people say, and this is going to like to probably turn everybody off, but I think when people say, um, you know, just, you know, uh, follow, uh, no matter what, you can do anything, right? You can do anything. That, that piece of advice, uh, it's not true, right? Like I can't go become an NBA basketball player. So I think that really, that's the first piece of advice that people start to act on at a very young age. And so I really don't, I'm not a fan uh, when I hear somebody who's mentoring a young teenager. So, it, you know, one of the things we do here at Creative Planning is we have scholarships for about 80 kids. And we have a bunch of people mentor those kids. But we try to set realistic goals for them, ambitious, but at least in the realm of possibilities, right? And so I think that just saying you can do anything is not great advice. It's what are you passionate about? What do you love? And of the things you love, most people love more than one thing. Of the things that you love, where if we put your energy, do we have the best chance at you being very successful? 
And if you're very successful, then you're going you're to find over your life, you love other things you don't love today. And if you're successful, you'll have the money and time to do those things. You might later in life decide that you're charitably inclined or that you're an avid gardener or you want to go to chess tournaments or whatever. And when you figure that out, um, it will help if you had been on the right course back when you were a teenager. Mm. So speaking about things that you're passionate about, speaking about goals, what are three goals that you have right now that you're passionate about achieving? I think my, you know, my main goal is to really spend just my kids are at an age now or my, my youngest two, they're twins, they're freshmen in high school. And my goal is to make sure that when they're off to college that I can look back and say, I didn't miss a thing. Right. So my number, my number one goal is to focus on that. I'm hopefully going to be around for decades and I've only got four more years of them around. And so I, I'm really focused on you know, running the business in a way where I'm not traveling a lot. I'm spending the night at home and I'm spending all the time with them. That's easily by far the number one goal is how do I make sure that that happens? And that's always top of mind. And, you know, after that, it's how do I get, how do I get creative planning in a place uh, where the people that work here feel very, very secure in their jobs and they see growth opportunities and, and career paths and, and flexibility to get where they want to go so they can take care of our clients and we can, uh, we can win. And so my mind is always going, how do we get more to the client? How do we, how do we make it better for the, the advisors and the, and the team here? So if you've got a happy, a happy team, then they're going to give their all to those clients. Uh, and that makes you more competitive. If I do those two things, then my, my third goal uh, works out, will work out great. I, I remember seeing an interview with Warren Beatty um, maybe 20 years ago. And the interviewer said, well, paraphrasing, like, when did you finally figure out life? And he said, it was when I figured out I was number five, you know, and he went through his kids and his wife and everything else. It was the day I accepted that it just reframed my whole thinking. And I found peace, you know, and I really kind of look at, I look at my life that way. If I can do these things, then, then I'm, I can be at peace. I can enjoy, I can enjoy my life. Do you have any regrets? I don't have any regrets. I think that, um, I mean, I, I'm actually very happy with all the failures. Uh, and, you know, within creative planning, we try things all the time um, that we experiment with internally and we go, well, we're not, that's not going to work for clients. And we just lost a bunch of money testing it. But I even consider those a success because I'm never laying in bed going, I wonder if we try to do this, if it would have worked. We're always trying these different things. Uh, and so I think regret's one of the worst emotions you can have. And I, I've got to consciously do everything I can to make sure I don't have that feeling. If I'm debating, do I want to go to get in the car and drive to this concert that's four hours away? Or does it make sense to go to this? With the, the answer is always yes. You know, if I'm debating it, I know that later I'm going to regret it if I don't, if I don't do it. Hmm. What I want to do is ask you a question that has been burning on my brain. Uh, but most of these questions may seem very curious and very amateur in nature because uh -huh. I've got no idea. <laughs> You're going to have to bear with me. But All right. One of them that I do want to ask you is when, when we invest, the, in, the investment, stock market, uh, the stock exchange, all that sort of stuff, what would you say to a young person, say a 20, 24-year-old person right now, if they want to invest and how much money do you need in order to actually invest? Well, I think if you're really, really young and you're starting out 
it, you can have any amount of money and start investing. So you can walk into a place like TD Ameritrade, Schwab, or Fidelity. You could open an account with Vanguard and you deposit the smallest amount and you buy the S&P 500 in a no transaction fee way, meaning you can't be paying $10 every time you buy it because if you're only saving $10 a month, you're not going to get anywhere, right? You need to be buying it for free and just keep buying, even if it's a tiny, tiny amount all the time. You can use an app like Robinhood, open an account, transaction free, and just buy one thing after another. Um, just make sure you're not paying transaction fees. So Robinhood is the, the app or the account that you can set up. And yep. so what is the best way to actually earn a lot of money on the stock, on the stock market in your opinion? Well, I think if you, if you own the broad stock market, you can expect over the very long run to get about 10%. There are going to be long periods of time where it's more or long periods of time where it's less. If you think about that, you're doubling your money around every seven years. Um, if you're really young, I mean, if you start investing when you're you know, 25, but well, 35, $1,000 has become 2,000. And then at 45, it's 4,000. And at 55, it's 8,000. And at 65, it's 16,000. So you've really gotten that to really turn into a big number uh, just by owning the stock market. If you want to place bets on an industry, you got to pay a lot more attention, right? Because some industries tank and take a long time to recover, like financials now. Some, some go on incredible runs, but tend to collapse when they run their course, like technology. So with, with that, you got to be much more, you know, paying a lot more attention. I tell my own kids, buy the stock market buy a basket of securities, just keep buying it over and over and over again and stick with that. Mm. What do you mean by securities? Well, a stock is a security. And basically, if you buy the S&P 500, you own 500 stocks. So just buy the S&P 500. You can buy it through one ticker symbol and boom, you own 500 companies that make up a big part of the US economy. You can buy an index that covers uh, Australia, an index that covers Europe, so you can buy two or three things and be covering the whole world. And that's really the way to do it. What's the biggest mistake that you, you see people doing when they start investing in the first place? I think they try to time their way in and out of things. So, you know, everyone seems to have to, you know, learn the hard way that buying and selling individual stocks on a day-to-day -day basis is a loser's game. So somebody says, today I'm going to buy Tesla and tomorrow I'm going to sell Tesla, then I'm going to buy Apple, then I'm going to sell that. Going in and out of things over and over and over again increases the probability you're going to mess things up. But it's something most people have to learn the hard ways. It's a good thing to learn when you're young and you're starting with smaller dollars. Oh, definitely. What has been, in your experience, what has been the worst investment you've ever made? Hmm, the worst investment I've ever made. So I've got to go back to like the, the late 90s. There was a, a mutual fund that had done really, really well every year in a row for like 10 years. And I thought, oh, well, obviously it'll do that in the 11th. And I put all my lawn mowing money, you know, money that I made and piled up and saved. Uh, and then when I got out of college, I took that and put it in that mutual fund and it tanked. And I uh, then eventually picked up a book by John Bogle called Common Sense on Mutual Funds. And it talked about how just because something's done well in the past doesn't mean it's, it'll go well, do well going forward. And in fact, it turns out some of the highest rated mutual funds actually tend to underperform going forward because they may have had a sector that was doing really well, whether it's financial or energy or technology. If, if things turn bad for that sector, eventually, and most things are cyclical, you wind up being in for the losing side of things. 
So I think it was chasing performance was, was a mistake I made early on and, and learned the hard way. And what's been currently, current today, what has been your most favorite investment? Well, I think like when we started, uh, you know, really building portfolios of creative planning, we were one of the first passive investors, meaning quit stock picking, buying mutual funds, instead buy these baskets of securities, buy these baskets of stocks. And we're one of the largest holders of those in the world now. And I think the best thing, the best investment we ever did was we were doing that very, very early on uh, before the market had moved in that direction. And, and I think it's played out um, you know, for our clients that they've been on the winning side of that equation. I think that's a big part of creative planning success. So I would say being early on that, uh, on that path was the best investment. Mm. My grandfather used to be an investor. He used to go on the, the stock exchange. And to be honest with you, I still wish that he was alive so he could help answer all these questions for me and actually help me go about doing it. Um, but he had a broker. And I'm curious, do you recommend people get a broker as well? Not really, no. Because brokers, basically, they get paid for transactions, right? You buy this stock, you sell that bond, you, they get paid different ways for different things and they affect transactions. And so I always encourage people to get an investment advisor, which is someone who gets paid a fee to manage the money. And so basically you pay them a fee and they'll buy stocks and bonds and whatever they think is best for you, but their pay is the same no matter what they do. So it puts them on the same side of the table as the investor. They're interested in doing well. So the client stays and pays the fee and doesn't fire them, right? And so you're never going to get a call from that investment advisor trying to get you to hurry up and buy some bonds because they happen to make more money if you buy those bonds from their bond desk that, that, that day. You really want the person giving you advice to, to not be conflicted with you. And a broker can be conflicted with you, uh, which is why I don't recommend it. And would you recommend or would you say that pretty much any time is a good time to invest? Or would you say that when the market is down, that is a good and wise time? Because I've heard... Um, you know, some of the best investors, Ray Dalio, um, Warren Buffett, for example, say that they're having a field day when the stock market is down. So would you say yeah. that, that is the, the best time to actually invest or is every time a good time? Well, I think you know, there's a famous saying, you buy when there's blood in the streets. But, but to me, you're always buying and you just don't stop buying when there's blood in the, in the streets. And I think that if you invested the day before 9-11 or the tech bubble or 08 or 09 or the coronavirus, Today, you're way, way up from all of those. So it's always better to get your money to work today, get that money working for you. If it's not invested, it's not working for you. And you're going to get money many, many times throughout your life. So just always do it now, 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 now. And the odds are in your favor that that will work out over the long run. Now, when the 08 and 09 crash happened, what stage of life were you at? Were you running your business at the moment? Or how did you actually manage that? So we were managing about $500 million at creative planning. I had, you know, owned creative planning maybe about five years at the time. And we went into the crisis managing $500 million. We came out of the crisis managing, I think, $510 million or something. We had grown a little bit through all of that. But that was really, that was kind of creative planning's coming of age story. I mean, we really began, you know, within a, a year or two, we were managing several billion and never looked back. And I think it was following a disciplined process through that crisis that gave the clients the confidence to stick with us and to move other money to us and to refer their friends to us. And so it was really proof that the way we were managing money worked. Mm -hmm. And so it was a big, um, a big, a big event for the firm. At the moment, currently, um, what are 
some things or maybe three things that you don't like doing, but you have to do in order to keep the business going? Oh man. All right. So things I don't <laughs> like doing. So the good thing about being, you know, in my, in my role is, um, I'm pretty much doing the stuff I like to do and I've hired people to do the stuff that either I don't like to do or I am not good at. Um, but there's a lot of paperwork at this level that I could do without. There's a lot of calls from reporters that, that sometimes are great. And sometimes I could, you know, do without them. Um, it's the, the public facing part is a lot of fun. And it's also a, a part that, that, uh, sometimes is, you know, intrusive when you're just trying to, you know, keep the business, keep the business going. But my favorite things are dealing with clients, dealing with the team here at creative planning. Uh, I like putting my energy into that. Anything that's diverting me from those things tends to be things that are not, not my favorite things. How do you keep your mind sharp as it is right now? Like every single day, even though you do get tired, how do you keep it sharp? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd love to say I'm like incredibly disciplined. I'm, I'm not, but uh, I do work out for a very short period of time every morning to try to, to try to basically stay alive and in, in reasonable shape. I eat, I don't eat breakfast. I eat extremely light, light lunch. I've got to lean on the diet Coke in the middle of the day to keep, uh, you know, get that caffeine in, into the brain. Um, but part of it is you just do what you love and your mind wants to stay engaged uh, with it. So it's just not as hard if you're doing what you love to do to, to stay engaged. I don't know if anyone has ever asked you this question, but I'm, I'm going to ask it to you anyway. What does creativity mean to you? you know, creativity to me, to me means you just don't take something as, it, as it's been given to you and say that I, I, you don't have to take things and go, I'm going to do this, this, this puzzle the way it's always been done. It's trying to get your mind to not follow basic rules. I think whenever you're trying to create something that's of value to the public, you, you can do it. There's a couple of ways you can do it that are boring, right? You can just do it faster than somebody else, or you can do it cheaper than somebody else. You can take what somebody else is doing and give it to the public faster. You can take what somebody else is doing and give it to the public for less. I think those things are valuable at Creative Planet. We move very quick. I think we're a great value for our clients, but I think the best thing is you do something in a way no one's done it before because you were thinking creatively when you put it together. Mm. Um, and so that's what it means to me. I love that the name creative is, is in our firm name, you know, creative, creative planning. Um, and I think we try to do that. We try not to, we try to really take all these pieces and see how they interact together and blend the art and science of all of this in a way that serves the client. Mm. I love it. I want to ask you a, a more fun question. Um, cause I, I feel like, I've been asked this before, but I'm curious for you, when was the last time that you felt guilty about spending money on something? Uh, I don't really feel a lot of guilt around, around spending money. So what I've, I've written a lot of books uh, about money and they all end with the same thing. Uh, and the last chapter is always a very short chapter. And it always says money is here to serve you. Enjoy your money. You know, you do not need to hold it all. You don't need to hoard it all. There's nothing positive about that. If you want to give to charity, you know, give all your life. It's better to give with a warm hand than a, than a cold one. If you're saying you're holding it for your kids, give it to your kids now so you can enjoy seeing them enjoy it. Um, go ahead and take a vacation you wouldn't normally take. Get the coffee in the morning. Don't deprive yourself of these things. And so to me, I, I tend to feel when people have regret, I think it's what they didn't spend the money on, the, the thing that they didn't do, the experience they didn't have. 
uh, later in life. And so I think I've learned that, you know, through my clients. And so I am looking for ways to, um, you know, you don't need money to do a lot of things that are fun, but I'm certainly not feeling guilty about spending on, on anything that will bring an experience uh, into, into my life that brings me closer to my family or friends or anything else. It's interesting because speaking about money, I'm curious for you and your life currently, what is the top financial goal that you've set yourself for life, not just for 2020 or the year, but for life? Well, I think my goal is just like all of our clients' goals to have enough money to be able to do what you want for the rest of your life, to get financially independent. And most of our clients are there and some of them are, are younger and they're working their way there and I'm already there. And so I don't really have financial goals uh, anymore. I, I know that if I wanted to quit today, I could quit and the family would be okay. And we would do whatever we, we needed to do. Um, and beyond that, it becomes what kind of impact can you have? Mm you know, on the world that, that you live in. And, and so whatever I have um, that I can, you know, it'll go back into the community one way or another. Uh, and that'll make me feel good. But I don't feel this pressure, you know, to get more to achieve uh, a certain number. And I think there is a, a sadness in people that are trying to do that. I think that I've got, you know, I've got someone who you know, people on the on the Forbes list, and they, you know, sometimes, there, no one's satisfied, right? Everyone's always comparing to somebody else and trying to get to something else. And that's just a recipe for misery because there's always somebody that has more. There's always somebody to compare against. And you have to just basically figure out what does it mean for you to have what you need? Be aggressive about working your way there, be disciplined to get yourself there and then enjoy yourself and start to worry, worry about other things besides money. Mm. I've never worried about money or never really focused too much on it. In fact, I have a, a massive problem, I think, in asking people for money, even though I know I deserve it, even though I know I've done the work, I have a massive problem asking for money. What advice would you give me <laughs> for that, that problem? Well, I think it's good you don't worry about money. That's probably why you're smiling all the time. But I do think <laughs> you, should know your, you should know your worth, right? Your time is worth something and your whatever you're delivering is worth something and the market has put a price on that and you you sh that's the price that you should ask for that's what doctors and lawyers and architects do uh it's what basketball players do and and baseball and, and that's what you should do and there should be no you know no guilty feelings uh associated with that mm, i think i've got a um i gotta do a lot of work on that <laughs> <laughs> but you are, you are right i'm always smiling because i'm not worried about i know i'm going to be taken care of anyway I know the money is going to come eventually. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So yeah. just being patient enough and just being grateful for what I have in, in the moment anyway. A um, couple more questions for you. Um, yeah. How important is it for a young person at the moment to start saving and putting money aside for their superannuation or their 401k? Well, I think it's it's extremely important in terms of in terms of uh, becoming financially dependent. The number one thing is having time on your side. So if you are young, be putting money away right now. Do not wait. Doesn't matter if it's a tiny amount. Just get in the habit of deducting it from your paycheck and doing it, and then later raise it if you can. But don't wait till you can do something substantive. Just do it today. And should you use some of that money in your four hundred one k or your super to invest in something? You should. You should invest in equities. So stocks for the long run, 
uh, those are the things that are most likely to earn the most. And so that's, if you're young, invest in stocks. Mm. Thank you for that advice. Um, two more final questions. Now, this is more towards uh, your book, The Path, and your other book, Unshakable, that you, yeah. you did with Tony Robbins. How did you and Tony meet? And I'm curious, what has Tony Robbins taught you about investing in money that you didn't already know? So he had, uh, you know, he had a 401k plan and, and somebody went to his office and showed him that he was using a broker and he was paying double or triple what he needed to pay. He switched to that independent advisor. He was very upset. He found out he was, him and his employees were paying too much. So he started to interview his friends like John, uh, like Paul Tudor Jones and Ray Dalio. And he interviewed Alan Greenspan and Jack Bogle, John Bogle and, and Warren Buffett. And he created a book of all of those interviews called Money Master the Game. Uh, along the way, he started referring to us, came out to visit creative planning, decided to join creative planning, and and uh, we became friends and got to know each other. And, he, and what I really um, learned from him that I didn't really understand before is he really tried to tie where somebody sat emotionally with money. So for example, he divides people in the groups on what drives them. Some people are driven by certainty. They want to know if they go to work, they're going to get paid a certain amount. If they invest, they're going to earn a certain amount. They want to know exactly what it is, when it's going to be, how it's going to work. Some people are driven by variety. They, they, like the, they like the uncertainty. They like that it might be a big month. It might be a smaller month. Every day might be different. It might not be the same process every time. Some people are driven by contribution. They want to feel like they're contributing to something bigger. Some people are driven by significance. They want to feel important. And only if you understand what motivates somebody, can you really advise them well, right? If you're driven by certainty, you're probably not going to do well 100% in stocks, right? Um, and, and so all of understanding people makes it easier to relate to them and communicate with them and give them what they need in a personal relationship, but also I think makes you a better advisor. And so it really... I've written another book called The Five Mistakes Investors Make and How to Avoid Them about the psychological side of things. In the path, I talk about that a lot. In fact, I talk about these, Tony Robbins writes a chapter about just what I'm covering now, contribution, significance, and so on. But really, I hadn't looked at it that way uh, until I met Tony. Mm. And um, what else has Tony taught you about life that you hold dear and that has given you a renewed perspective on life? Well, I think that he, um, you know, he's, he, I would see him tell business owners that were at his conferences or people just going to his conferences. I'd hear him say, um, you know, what do you want to do and when do you want to do it? So they'd all write down in their book, this is what I want to accomplish and it's going to take me nine years. And then he'd say, okay, well, what if I told you that it had to be done in five years? How are you going to do it? And it forced people to think creatively, right? So he's also really big on, on talking about, if you, what do you want to happen? Okay, well, is it going to happen with what you're doing today? No. If you keep doing the same thing, don't expect a different outcome. And so I think he's really good at coming up with these ways of forcing you to think creatively. If I want this to happen, I have to change what I'm doing. If I want this to happen in this time frame, I've got to do other things. And so he really tries to shift the way we naturally think to get people to challenge themselves. And I've seen people have enormous success doing that. Tony has been in my ear for over five, six years, whether it's reading his books, whether it's uh, listening to his podcast. And, 
you know, he, he is someone that is very wise, but I, I just love, love the advice that he gives most of it freely, if not all of it freely for people. And I appreciate all the advice that you've given me today, Peter. Yeah. Someone that I think is truly remarkable and you've helped so many people and you sort of fly under the radar quite a bit. And I think that's real, real humility. So thank you so much. My, my final question for you, this is my, um, I don't know if I asked it to you in the last one, but I'm going to ask it again. Um, just in case <laughs> this is my legacy question. So you've been able to reach the age of 100 and your friends have put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Then ask me how in the world they got it. I will call it magic, but they've been able to show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Oh God, I hope it's all about my kids and grandkids and they've turned out to be, you know, well-adjusted, happy, contributing people. I mean, that's the only legacy there really is. And I'm not saying that from a position of humility, but from a position of reality. I just, I think that everything else uh, fades to black pretty fast. Uh, and, and the real legacy is, is the people you leave behind. And so I don't think I'd need the video if they're in the room with me. I would have the legacy I think I care about the most. Um, and I try to focus on that more than anything else. Mm. And where can people connect with you the most and uh, learn more about you and get your books? So they can follow me on uh, Twitter at Peter Malouk, M-A-L-L-O-U-K, or LinkedIn or Facebook. Uh, the Path is available everywhere. You can go to Amazon as well and, and order The Path, which is the book I did most recently with Tony Robbins. And uh, our website's creativeplanning.com if you want to learn more. I don't like this part because it means, sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, Please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it will go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Fansom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.